the fear of the unknown and the, the world of entrepreneurship is very unknown you have no idea where business will come from you have to go look for it so the fear of the unknown sometimes stops people from trying so they don't try some sometimes they're comfortable in a bad place so comfort and be delusional you can be deluded by comfort so the fear of the unknown in terms of the comfort is something that i find that is very common and it's the enemy of greatness because it could be good it could be great if you did something else but you don't want to because you are fearing the unknown outcome if uh, i'm dealing with the fear of the unknown my advice is that someone should ask themselves this question what is it that i'm actually looking for do we really know life sure. but let me say intelligence emotional intelligence social intelligence financial intelligence so i believe it's important for each and every one of us to understand the rules that govern any arena of your life you are listening to the revenge of the forsaken gods a podcast that explores the human experience and seeks to create a blueprint for living using books stories movies and conversations and here is your host andrew balong Welcome to The Revenge of the Forsaken Gods podcast. I'm Andrew Balongo Pere. Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Transitions Coach Anthony P.W. Washira, who helps individuals and teams make their transition smooth, figure out their value, and thrive. He addresses the doubts and challenges that surround your career, relationships, and financial situation. And he offers guidance on how to navigate this season of life and move into the next phase of your life. In the previous episode, we covered several key topics, including pursuing a degree that his parents wanted and the lessons that he learned, what he learned from his mentor and hater, and why the younger generation aren't listening to their parents' advice. In today's episode, we cover how he got burnout from not dealing with grief from multiple deaths in the family. How working at a multinational gave him his coaching skills that he was unaware of at the time. And three things that hold people back and what to do to overcome them amongst other topics. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And in fact, it's interesting that uh, the next article that you shared here on LinkedIn is about... Uh, you know, uh, you, you're talking about this last couple of months being draining for you. Would you mind just sharing mm. why they were draining for you and why, what is taking time off? What's resting? What's self-evaluation? These are words that are not really <laughs> very common because all we hear is, if you're not sleeping four hours, you're lazy, you know? Hustle, hustle yes. hard, work, work, work. Look at Elon Musk. Look at who, you know? <laughs> They're clocking in this insane amount of hours. You know, and if we are honest, yes. if we look at CEOs, they 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 are logging in insane hours to to make uh, their enterprise work. It's not easy. Mm. And you see this is yeah. uh, this is the narrative we're hearing, but now you're talking about rest. Rest is more is as important as work. What's going on here? Please expound more. So, in uh, in the last between between February between October and February, in my side of the family, we lost 
four people. So that's wow. four, four people in five months. And uh, I'm sorry, they were old. Wow. Thank you very much. They were old, but uh, uh, have come to learn that we need to respect grief and that people grieve differently. And the fact that someone was old doesn't mean that the grief is less. And uh, sometimes we expect them to, oh, if they had lived long. I even was reading about some of the things that we should not tell people when they are grieving. Uh, we shouldn't tell them that they are strong. We shouldn't tell them that that person was old. We would rather let them say that themselves, not we who are coming to grief. In fact, one of the best things that I have been told over the years and that I have seen as a uh, a way of comforting is just to show up and keep quiet. That's a very good thing. So through the course of that period, I, I must say the first one did not affect me too much because that was an, an auntie to my mother. So she's, I, I have known her all my life. She's, we were close, but she, we, over in the last couple of years, we, had, we hadn't been talking too much. So I hadn't gotten the chance to see her. So she passed on. Then she's now a sister to my grandfather, the one that I was named after. So he was next in line. In December, he passed on. Uh, now that was closer home. So the next one was now my paternal, that was my maternal grandfather, because I'm a second born. So then my paternal grandfather passed on in January. Then in Feb, we went back to my mom's side. And now my grandpa's other brother, so my grandpa, the one I'm named after, we lost his brother. So the culmination is that because uh, I was involved in these things and I was closer to some than the others, it just piled up. And then before then, my wife had gone through an operation that she was she she was not she was not in the best place in terms of the healing process. So she was far from doing things, and we had released our help over Christmas, so I had to double up as caregiver and house help, among other roles, and then with all these deaths. And then in the same season, I was involved in an accident. I was with my mother and my daughter, wow. and uh, we had to get the car to a man. It was just too many things that had happened all at once. So that the death I'm dealing with grief, then with my wife's condition, I'm kind of, it, it can also be classified as grief uh, because she's going through a difficult season. So it had come to a head and uh, I was extremely mentally fatigued. So that's the reason I was writing about that and uh, sharing that it is good to take some time off for self-evaluation because a lot of times we put a brave face, especially if you have to handle, if you are a key person in this matters, especially like funerals, not, not, this, not realizing that you're coming from a place where you had not rested. Like in my case, I was coming from nursing my wife. So I was really involved in that and I'm having to look brave and act all strong. Then death comes in and I'm, again, I'm having to put on a straight face until one day I broke down and I realized how emotionally stressed I was, how not as strong as I had presumed and uh, even portrayed. It, it was, it, I was putting on a facade and I didn't even realize it until, like they say, the stroke that broke the camel's back, until you get overwhelmed. 
which is what we want to avoid. So I had gotten to that place in one of the funerals and I realized I was in bad shape. Now, would you mind... And I talked to um, my mom. Would, would you mind just unpacking how that happened? Because, you know, in our Kenyan context, we really don't talk about grief and processing emotion. So, you know, when you broke mm. down, just... just if, if you don't mind, please, just recounting that moment, you know, what was going in your okay. mind? What okay. did you feel? Who, who was there around you? Who, how did you get the support? Yeah. So it was the third, the third person in, the, in line. That was my paternal grandpa. And uh, we were at the funeral. And I was okay for the most part. I, I, because my uncles had uh, lead roles, my parents, and we are a big family. Being a grandchild, I was not as involved, but I was involved in a few things. And uh, of course, being with my family, my, my mom and dad in particular. So we are there. I'm surrounded by, I'm surrounded by all these people. And the African thing is that you need to go and throw some dust. I, I see, I see it, it's done all over Kenya and it's, it's a sign of respect. I, so I went and tossed my dust and... Uh, I'm standing there. So for the for for that moment, I felt so alone, and I started getting mixed emotions. I looked around. Some people said hi to me, and then they went on their way. So I stood there by myself, surrounded by all this grief and grieving people and wailing people and some people crying. All along, I thought I was fine until I started feeling the same emotions myself, and. Um, I don't know where the flood of emotions came and I, I, I found myself crying and uh, uncontrollably. And to be very, very honest, it was not because of one event because I, I got, my, my mom was not in the best of shapes, but uh, she's a counselor and she, she kind of tried to support me and uh, my uncle who was doing better than most of us and uh, when we now are trying to unpack that, that my mom was telling me after now you recovered she's telling me it was very good for you to release that tension because i noticed that at your other grandpa you were acting like you were okay i know that you've been through a difficult season with your wife i i when we were having the accident we were with her here in nairobi so she said and i also know all that the tension that comes with the other issue you are in an accident but you have not dealt with those things you had not had had not taken time off to even acknowledge those things you know deal with them and accept that they are the possibility of them affecting me i try to brush them aside and keep working keep taking care of my family and do what needs to be done uh, at that point nothing else mattered i I was not okay, and, and it was very obvious. So after that, I took some time off. I spoke to someone uh, just to get perspective and try to rest, and I'm in a better place now. Would you mind... Uh, thank you for sharing that. I know as, uh, you know, as men, we really don't have these uh, materials uh, and support like the way you have. Yeah. You know, you have your mom around you just to give you that clarity. Um, mm. You don't have to be very specific, but at least what was, when you're having that conversation uh, with the person who mm -hmm. was supporting you, what, mm. what did they bring out for you? Because it's one thing to say, deal with it, you know, 
that you didn't process. What does processing mean? You know, the language of emotions is very different from the language of logic. Logic is very easy. You know, someone mm. someone is sick and they're in hospital or they're in bed at home. Yeah, we know we do the things we need to do to get them the resources that they need. The way you're supporting your wife, yeah. Funeral is happening. Mm. You do your part and you do the tasks. That's that's very obvious. We we know what to do in terms of the logic part. But in the emotion part, mm. what do we do? So when you are having that conversation with your person, you know, just feel free to share whatever you feel comfortable sharing. What did you share with them that you felt the problem was? What tips did they share with you that showed you how you were thinking? And then what were the ahas that you came to after you know those sessions? If you're able to distill it into Tony who's going through this problem on day one and you want to try and instill it into him. Okay. So the processing looks like accepting that uh, the person is gone and that you are not going to see them again. And accepting means that you get a flood of emotions. You are angry, you are upset. Well, that's kind of the same. You are sad and you are angry. So you have to deal with both. You have to accept that you are anger and that it's okay. That's a part of the grieving process. You have to accept that you are sad and that that's part of the process. And that the anger will not last forever and that the sadness will not last forever. But at this moment, at this time, that's how you feel. And you need to go through the motions of why, why am I angry? I'm angry because it, it could be anything. Some people, some of us get angry with God because why them? Uh, maybe they suffered because like my one of the, the second grandpa had suffered a little bit. So we go through the motions of going through that and the sadness and the realization of the finality of this thing. Death means that you're not meeting here again. So you need to deal with that. Accept it and go through the emotions. If you are going to cry, it, it is okay. You cry. Then the next day, so you, you kind of live one day at a time. The realization, um, there's this saying that time heals all wounds. I was reading that uh, it doesn't quite heal, but it helps you lessen, it, it lessens the grief. You will not see this person again. So you will remember them. Uh, and especially if you love them very much, the, the next one year is usually a season. So you don't stop grieving like this. It's a process, it, it, it goes, it's like a, like a graph. You move from this sadness, it, it goes decreasing over time. But the, the first one year is difficult because you spend uh, periods that you would have spent together without them for the first time. Yes, so you get to face that realization that there'll be a year now that you're going to have to go through. If you used to spend birthdays together, things like that, that they won't be there. So you kind of prep for that. There's no adequate prep for it, but at least just knowing that that there is, is fair enough so that if those emotions start flooding back, you know that it's okay. They do that. They do that. I had had all these things, but now it, it was seeming uh, unreal, especially when you lose 
uh, a couple of people at the same time. So the process is just dealing with the reality of the situation and that and accepting that it has affected you and that the grief process is not, it does not have a fixed period, but also knowing that uh, it gets better. It gets better along the way. You, the sadness, the great sadness and the great pain will reduce over time. You will still feel sad. You will still feel the pain, but it will lessen over time. But I think I'm convinced that only if you're willing to face it, will it, will it lessen over time? Because some people get overwhelmed. I have read about people who get extremely, extremely overwhelmed. Yes. So right. I, I hope I've tackled that. Uh, I, I don't know if I veered off a little bit, but I think uh, I've answered what you were asking. Oh, no, you have. At least, you know, as a coach, you've given uh, some very uh, tangible tips in, in terms of that the emotions mm. are temporary. Allow yourself to, to, mm. to experience those emotions. Don't run away from them. You know, the anger, the sadness, the questioning, mm. uh, you know, uh, I wish you were given these tips more, you know, and so that even when it happens yes. to you, you're not clueless or, or, or that, oh, my behavior is because of this. And in fact, you remind mm. me that uh, we actually attended the same school, USIU, United States International mm. University, Africa. <laughs> and uh, I remember yes. I was part of the Peer and Educators Counseling Club. And I want to shout out ah, to okay. uh, a person who was uh, an inspiration to me, Julius Nderito. Uh, I remember we did presentations mm -hmm. every week and he did a presentation mm -hmm. on grief. And I remember, mm -hmm. I remember it to this day because he said some of the things we say that we think are comforting, but are actually hurtful. And this is especially yes. with people in the religious setup or church setup. It doesn't matter whether it's, Christian, Islam, whatever, that it's God's will that they died. Mm. You as an individual, okay, even though you are aware of that reality, you don't want to hear that mm. because of yes. what you're emotionally processing. And like you said, mm. uh, you have to think about the receiver of this information, not you. Mm. And even it yes. took me a hard time having to be around people and just feeling that my presence is not helping and when even mm. so, when even my dad passed away everyone mm -hmm. who showed up as in was so comforting so yes we really need to watch uh our our, our our what we say around people like it's god's will don't worry they're in a better place they might sound like comforting mm. words but the person yes. receiving them they are here now feeling those emotions and those words are not comforting mm. so yes. it was very humbling uh, that you know the takeaway was watch your mouth and just be there and support they might not know what to ask mm. of you but yes just be there if you notice that maybe they're not doing that they're, they're shopping for the supermarket and you happen to be there yes. you know just go and do it and bring them the stuff because yes you're not in your regular frame of mind. You've lost someone and this is not a regular mm. thing. Mm. 
So you don't know how to behave. Yes. So that was just some of the tips I remember to this day uh, from that training. Mm-hmm. Wow. I like and agree with you. Yes. Wow. So I think uh, I think it would be nice to 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 shift gears from uh, you know going from something that uh, you know we are processing a lot of heavy stuff to now you back at DHL. How did DHL <laughs> happen? And uh, yes, from Tony the the asphalt mentee to DHL multinational. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so DHL was very interesting. I, I a big shout out to my uncle. He he passed on, but uh, I had that fantastic uncle. He he again. I want to say networks and papers in this case because my first job at DHL was actually as a maintenance guy. I was an electrician again. After being out of the game for a while, remember I uh, wrote a newsletter and I produced music. Yeah, and then I was volunteering as a peer mentor at my church at the time. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I'm out of the game of uh, wires and current and stuff, but I need a job. So my uncle, I know this, but uh, the DHL offices moved from the the place that they were and he was there he didn't work for them but he worked at the complex that they were in so he had he was a fantastic fellow good with people excellent at his job so the boss at the DHL facility asked him can you get us a good person like you because now they were moving, they were parting facilities. So now in the new facility, they would need their own technician. Because when they were housed in this facility, he was he was the overall technician. So he said that he knew a guy and uh, he proposed me. Uh, I came, I was interviewed. Uh, I, I actually was interviewed by three people. I, the first one was by the gentleman who was heading that warehouse, but they, they had a head office who wanted to vet the guy that they were bringing. So I was sent to head office and uh, I have no idea how I did it because they, they liked me and I was given the job. <laughs> Maybe it's because they, don't, they didn't know much about, uh, about maintenance. And uh, I, I'm sure it's because of that, because their industry is, has nothing to do with electricity. It's just something that they use. Uh, that machine needs to be switched on. Those lights need to, like that. So I, I got the job. And uh, since I was working, I was working at JKIA. Since my uncle was close by, he had told the, the boss that uh, he, will, he will be standby. He will assist the young person in uh, getting my footing which he did excellently. And uh, I owe a lot to him because like I told you, even at the beginning, I was worse than than at the beginning. So I was relearning the things again. Luckily for me, there was not too much electrical work here. So it is something that I I might have survived doing. But remember that I didn't like it. Well, I like the company, 
but I didn't like the job. So I figured, hmm, now how do I survive here? And I thought there's no way electrical works is, is a, a job that uh, has a life span in this company. They don't do that. They are a courier company. So because I was not very busy, I started learning the courier work. I, the, 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 the office that I was reporting at, I learned everything I, I could learn about exports and the operations of the air operations and uh, imports, but most, mostly exports because that's, that's the place I spent most of my time. And when I was not busy, I was one of the boys. I was doing the very things they were doing. So I was part of the, uh, of the process uh, and one of the boys. So I've made friends with them and I was doing the same jobs that they were doing, helping them. I was not in their schedule or in their roster, but I knew pretty much everything. So a position opened up, a position opened up and I applied. And amongst all the people who applied, I'm the only one who had real experience. I knew the job. So, some had been there longer than me in different departments, but they didn't know the job. I knew the job. So the training curve was so was almost flat. I had already been trained. So when that position opened up, I, I went in there and I actually got the job. And uh, that, I, I thought that was smart of me in the sense that I, when I, I looked forward and realized, I don't know why they got an electrician because they don't need one because I didn't have that much work. I thought if they don't need one, when they want to lay off some guys, they will lay me off. In fact, I was a temp. My contract was a temp. It, it, it was a continuing one, but I was not a permanent and a pensionable employee. I knew this, there's no future here. So I had to think quickly. And when the position opened up, I, uh, yeah, so I now got into logistics, something that I had no idea about, not trained for in college, but was uh, necessary for survival. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. But kudos to you for, uh, you know, having the, whether it's insight, foresight of, of, of uh, doing your due diligence. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think there was a bit of foresight there. Yeah, just a bit of logical thinking because you cannot be working for an, a multinational whose core business is Korean logistics, and your work is fixing the electrical fittings and the machines when they break down. Man, if you have a little bit of foresight, you'll see this one is not going to last too long. So, so what is the difference between working at a multinational mm -hmm. and working with a Kenyan-based organization? What are the obvious similarities, the, but what are the obvious differences? Ah, the, the similarities uh, would be largely with the people issues. You still have pretty much similar people issues. You get people who are helpful, who are team players and the other side of the coin as well. Others who are poor at working, you get people who are incompetent, you get people who got the job because they knew somebody, things like that. In terms of uh, organization, 
there are some Kenyan companies that are pretty well organized because they have good leadership. So I would say that in even that you can find. But in terms of development, I my stay in DHL was amazing on the part of development. They invest in their people. They, they practice what they preach. They say that uh, the, the biggest, what do they say? I forget the statement, but uh, the statement is about the most important part of your business is your people. And they leave that credo. They develop you and they standardized. When I was, when I was there, they standardized the training so that the training that was being deployed at the headquarters in Germany was disseminated everywhere. It was standardized. So Germany don't get superior training than the US or than Africa or than Asia. They get the same, as long as you're in the same level, you get the same training and they train the trainers. So it was amazing to be a part of that. And I think now that's where it, uh, the, the multinationals would beat local companies because a lot of my experience, and I train a lot, I, I train people, I train locally and I've trained uh, even multinationals, the fear of developing people. Some of the local companies have a fear of developing people. They don't invest enough. They don't invest enough. The multinationals, invest in developing their people wow wow and i think uh that's why we're not surprised why they outperform us and it's not because they're more talented but at the end of the day when you develop an individual mm. they can exponentially outwork you because they have the system running in them they know what to do they they know their habits mm -hmm. and it's one yeah. thing to be talented, but if you don't know what to do, uh, you don't know what to do. And, and how Very true. Yeah. Yes, that's wonderful. Just some of the key learnings uh, from DHL, uh, you know, that even though an organization that we perceive is uh, good at what they do, they still have their challenges. And, and now, uh, you know, I think uh, we can now take the, the, the full throttle forward, you know, that even as you share some of the key learnings that you learned at DHL, I'd like to now talk about the path of you being a coach and, and just sharing, you know, one or two case studies of these big organizations that you've been able to work with them. What were their challenges? What did you share with them and how did they apply those uh, recommendations and how did their, uh, did their outfit turn around when they followed your recommendations? Okay, I want actually to talk about something that happened in DHL that uh, I think in a sense prepared me for this. I, I loved onboarding, the process of bringing in a new new employee and training them and i i didn't know at the time but i was actually doing on the job coaching i had not been trained on what that was uh, i just thought i was participating in onboarding and uh, i remember in particular three people that i onboarded and trained and they were good enough to actually do my job 
so that when I would go and leave, they, they would do my work and we were now at a similar level of competence. And uh, in fact, every time I used to go to an interview at DHL and uh, I was asked what is my proudest achievement, that was it. That I was able to train so-and-so and so-and-so to a level of equal competence. So that kind of became something that I really liked. So when I left DHL and I left willingly uh, and joined a training company after which I now left and in the training company, I was actually laid off. So those were two interesting transitions for me because I left a multinational and I took up a job with that. It was a startup and uh, I was laid off because of uh, financial issues uh, in the last elections that prolonged elections, the elections that we had to redo. So our business was not doing very well. So we had to let some people go and I was part of the team that was let go. By the time I was leaving that place, I, was a, I had already learned my, it was, the company was called Arc Skills. By the time I was leaving Arc Skills, I had already gotten my training certification, I had gone and found a certification from the UK and taken it online. And have participated because my job was to organize trainings. I had already observed now at closer quarters uh, how it is done, how people come in, and I listened to their expectations. And uh, we were conducting training meets for organizations and uh, addressing those. I had a good idea now how to do that. So coming now to the field, when I was laid off, I was sure that I didn't want to be employed. That's, I consider that uh, a very bold decision and uh, it forms now one of my last big transitions in my adult life. What gave you that clarity? So coming to uh, the clarity, it was two things. I was praying, uh, two things happened. I, 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 when I was a DHL, I was not happy. It, it, it was a good place, but there were many people issues and I, so I was an unhappy employee and I knew that I needed to be out of there. So I had left a multinational for a one-year contract in a startup company. So that was, it, it's, every time I explain that to people, they, they, they thought it was a crazy decision. And, <laughs> multinational and startup. Tony, yeah, Tony, really, sense. really? <laughs> But I wasn't growing. I had gotten to a plateau and I was really unhappy. And my wife is the, is the person who had to deal with that. And so she was okay with me taking risks like those. And she's a believer. So we were praying about it. And she could see how unhappy I was. So we had, we had clarity from a part of conviction, the both of us, that it's time to leave. So it was an easy decision for me to move from a multinational to uh, startup. When leaving the startup, when I was laid off, we had a similar conviction that it was time for me to, to, to now do business. Someone had asked me before leaving DHL this question, what if they don't renew your contract? And uh, my answer was very interesting. I had told them, I will have learned enough to branch off on my own. Uh, little did I know that uh, I was a, it was a very predictive statement because in less than two years, I, I, my contract was renewed, but I didn't, I didn't even complete the two years. I stayed there for, uh, for about two years. Uh, 
So yeah, so, so before getting into coaching, I started by becoming a trainer and I realized that uh, training, training is really good done the right way. Not many people, however, rather not many organizations, however, are invested enough to do it the right way. So, and what do you the, mean by the right way? The right way is where you get the process right from the beginning, where you have a needs analysis so that you actually are training for a training need, not a staffing need, not an equipment need, not uh, because if, if we don't have enough equipment, it is not a training need. We need to buy enough equipment. If we don't have enough computers and we are training people to do their job more efficiently, it will never work. So you don't need to train them. You need to buy computers. So sometimes it is the, it's a tooling issue. Sometimes it is a, a different issue. So we, we carry out a needs assessment to see whether there are training needs. So that's where we should begin. Then we, do we take the training the way that we should. We do whether it's a short training where you do a two-day training, but two days are not enough to affect behavior change, to affect uh, the changes that you want to start seeing. So some people end at that point and you need to follow through. Sometimes it is a coaching that is needed to ensure that the new behavior fixes so that the gap we had identified can start, can start getting filled and we can start seeing results so that we have a, a resource that we can calculate. So sometimes people just do an intervention because it's a good thing. Sometimes they do it because they've not done it in a long time. Sometimes they do it because uh, the people have asked for a team building and a day out. So there are all these things that uh, we, in, in my industry, we say they do it to tick a box. So sometimes they do it to tick a box and that is not very efficient. It, it, no, sorry, that's not very really effective. So coaching helps. It can be aside from training and it can be a part of, and uh, when it's a part of training, it helps in setting goals and uh, being together, working together for a while and, observing the behavior fixing and you know just that working together because you're able to ask questions why why things are not working what we can do better and then we set goals so it, it does help and that appealed to me a lot because we had coaches and I went through a, a short coaching training while there so when I left and I was now doing my own business or starting out on my own business I got my coaching certifications have gone one. And uh, I am a life coach, I'm a certified life coach, I'm a certified emotional intelligence coach, and I'm also a certified neuro-linguistic practitioner. It's just a, a different tool for life coaching. Yeah, tell us a little yes, bit and, more uh, for, for those people that might want to be interested, you know, finding out uh, more about it. So, just what does a, an emotion, what does a life coach do? What does an intelligent, emotional intelligence coach do? And what does a neuro linguistic programming coach do? I, I let me let me say what I do with those tools. I prefer to say that instead. So, having gone through transitions myself, some willingly and others not so willingly, 
I came to respect transitions and uh, I have majored on transitions. And I use my tools, I combine those tools to create, uh, to create a, a specific tool depending on the needs of my clients, whether it's a team, because uh, I've done team coaching and I have done individual coaching and have collaborated with coaches to, and trainers to, do, to work together. So a life coach, life coach is a generalist. So you, because nothing is out of the realm of life unless someone is dead, really. So work is, is, is in the realm of life. <laughs> yes, they're not, they're, they're not death coaches. <laughs> <laughs> there are no death coaches. So a life coach is a generalist and uh, it, it, it's a platform, it's a good platform for branching into other forms of coaching. So I have done even a strategic life coaching, which combines elements of executive coaching and life coaching. So that, that's just for tooling myself to, to sharpen my craft so that I'm better equipped to do what I do. But I help people find clarity because life is full of transitions. Life is full of changes. And those changes, I say this, that we like the idea of change, but we don't necessarily like the process. Nobody wants to change, especially if something seems to be working. And that's not only for coaches, even for me who is speaking. Sometimes I need a nudge, yet I'm helping people to accept change. So change the process of change, uh, because we, we, we have all these beliefs that we sometimes put use to limit ourselves. We call them limiting beliefs. Sometimes we put those in our way of successfully, of making our transitions successful. And what I do is that I work with my clients to co-create solutions that will help them make those transitions successful for, and how they will measure their success is by the impact. I like to use towards influence that they have on themselves and others, and the impact that they create using that influence. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Influential. Yes, sir. Yes. Wow. So yes, from, yes. from from your experience in coaching, what have what would you say are three common things that hold people back when they come to you? So I think okay. <laughs> I like that. So I think that a lot of us, we struggle with self-awareness. We don't process what's going on so that we are aware of where we are at during uh, a season. So lack of self-awareness is one of the big ones. And what does self-awareness mean? You, you know, that's a, that's a new word, you know? My simplest form would be knowing how you feel, understanding how you feel about rule. Uh, and it has to do with your emotional side. It has also to do with your, the strengths that you have. So some of us are not aware of about what we are going through and we are not aware of the power that we have in that season. So once we are aware of what we are going through and we deal with those emotions like me during uh, many, many deaths, and sadness like that. And then the power that we have to overcome these things and to do what we need to do or to do something bigger, to create impact even during some, this, some, some of the difficult transitions, then and only then to 
influence ourselves and sometimes others in our sphere of influence to create the impact that we need to create. Wow. That is my, yeah, simple definition of self-awareness. Wow. So yes, problem number one, self-awareness, knowing who we are, knowing what we are going through, yes. how to process mm -hmm. it, and how to influence mm -hmm. ourselves to the outcome we want. Wow. Okay, yes. yes. I'll take that. I'll take that. So the other thing that I find that is pretty common is the fear of the unknown. And uh, it's very interesting because why we fear to take the leap. And sometimes when I explain my story and the leap of faith that I took, uh, certain clients have the right to talk about that. And I, I would agree to some degree because I jumped into the unknown and uh, the world of entrepreneurship is very unknown. You have no idea where business will come from. You have to go look for it. So the fear of the unknown sometimes stops people from trying. So they don't try. They are comfortable in, uh, some, sometimes they're comfortable in a bad place. So comfort, comfort can be can be delusional. You can be deluded by comfort. So the fear of of the comfort is something that I find that is very common. And it's an enemy of greatness because it could be good. It could be great if you did something else, but you don't want to because you are fearing the unknown outcomes. I think there's a the quote, third thing that I feel. I think uh -huh. there's a quote to that effect. I think it's better the devil I know than the angel I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> Yes, there's that, and I have come to refute it completely <laughs> after positions coach. Yes, yeah. yes. In yes, fact, yes, now yes. you've inspired me that after we, we, we finish your third point, close to the very end, when I start playing the game of threes, we, mm -hmm. we, we'll have a segment, three quotes that you totally refuse and you remix them how they should be. I might have to think about that, but we'll see. That's fine. We'll think about that as you, go, as you go along, yes. That's one of them. Okay, fine. Okay. We'll take that. <laughs> yes. So then there is the, 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 the fear. The third one is the clutter, the, the noise from social media, from the past, even from sometimes the present, the people, the company that you keep. Sometimes, sometimes you can't sift through that noise and you are overwhelmed. You, you want to do this, but the deluge of stuff that is beating you and saying that that's the wrong thing and you are con completely, uh, you feel, what's that word? I'm losing that word. Convicted that that's the right step to take, but you feel like you're the only one. So sometimes the noise, I find that it can cloud your judgment and it can um, cripple some people. Yes. Wow, those are very powerful. And what would be the tips, maybe three tips to start walking down those paths of self-awareness, stepping into the unknown and reducing the noise? Okay, I'll start with reducing the noise. Reducing the noise, you could start with uh, a long time in, in, in turning off notifications from, from phones. I think one of the things that we can't live without is the phone. And one simple tip is just turning off notifications. 
I try to tell younger people to turn off notifications. You can't believe how difficult it is. I turned off all my notifications. I tell people to do that. It's difficult. I cannot believe how difficult it is. Just don't want to turn off notifications. I'm, I'm, Fear I'm not of missing surprised. Out. Yeah, you know, I think. Yeah. I think also the way phone manufacturers, or, or rather, rather social media platforms, have added that notification mm. to mean you got something for you. Yes. Something yes. is here. So it's a dopamine spike where it's like, oh, there's something for me. So I think, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think underneath that, we fail to recognize the biological and psychological processing that's going on, that maybe we are not using the same process and procedure for things that are important that we would like to reinforce. So yeah. it's easy to say, I want you to focus on this thing but imagine mm. that you could add those notifications in a way that would work for discipline or paying your taxes on time or, you know, how to run your business and thrive or how to be self-aware. I know, right? Uh, you know? Yeah. Yes. So that, I think, is one of the things that we can do and then spending alone, some alone time. Alone time. And one, one thing that I think can cut across that I, I practice and that really helped me even during the season of my grief is practicing gratitude. And uh, let, let, let me just dare say, I actually have a gratitude course on my website and uh, it has, I have taken it myself and my family more than once. And what it has, it teaches me, it keeps teaching me this is to be grateful for what I already have. Even if I want something else, even need something else, as I am believing for that, I can be grateful for what I already have. And gratitude means that I have to notice what I have. And you notice even the smallest things. Like if I enjoy a cup of tea, I need to be grateful that I enjoy a cup of tea. During the season of COVID, if the people that got COVID and lost their taste, the, the sensation of taste, those people know now how important that sense of taste is because they had lost it. You don't, you don't, we don't have to wait to lose it, to notice it. We need to notice it now. We need to start noticing things and being grateful for them. So that's, that for me is one of the, my life's lessons that we need to practice more gratitude. And we need to meditate on the things that, that we have. We look around. Smell the, smell the flowers, enjoy a beautiful sunrise, enjoy a sunset, enjoy taking a walk, take off your shoes and step on the grass or something, you know, we should be grateful for those things. But we, we are just busy comparing ourselves with someone else who is on, on vacation or someone who's traveled or someone who bought a new car. And when we do that, we, we, we fail to notice what we already have. We're just looking at what we don't have. So that for me is a big, big, big piece of helping us in dealing with, uh, with this, with, with clutter and with uh, a lot of other things. If uh, I'm dealing with a fear of the unknown, my advice is that someone should ask themselves this question. If I was 80 years old, and I look back at my life, 
what decisions we might I regret that I did not make? What will I regret not having tried if I'm at if I'm 80 or 90? We because they say that um, you fail all the shots you don't make, you don't take, you don't make. You fail at all the things you don't try. So I'd rather try and say I tried than not try and regret having not tried. So I think we need to encourage a culture of failing forward, failing forward so that failure is not all bad. So I, I, would, I would encourage people to try something, even if it's a hobby, I have a course on my website about passion, discovering your passion. And in that course, I say that, uh, I, by the way, I'm really passionate about what, what I do and I love what I do. I feel that I'm doing what I was created to do. Having said that, I don't think it is all passions that are supposed to make you money. Some of them are supposed to just make you feel good because some of them will not make you money. But we need to find our passions. Some of them will make us money and we will be saying, I can't believe they pay me for doing that. You know, I've had people say that, I've actually said that once, that even if they told me to do that for free, I would have done it. I've actually said that. I would not have said that at Arc Skills. I would not have said that at DHL or at Mugoya Construction or at the Kenchik. But today I have said that and I even do it for free. I, I don't just say it, I actually do it for free because I love what I do. So finding a passion is awesome. And you will not find these passions without a bit of experimenting. You have to experiment a little bit to discover. I was watching African basketballers in the NBA yesterday. There are many basketballers. They didn't know how to play basketball until they were 15. Some of them, but most of them began playing basketball in their teenage. They were either footballers, football is popular in our continent. And now they are making money, living the dream playing a game that they learned in their team. So there's a bit of experimentation that you need to do. So I'm trying. Yeah, uh, the other one I had said was uh, lack of self-awareness. I think, I think for self-awareness, I would put it together with noise. I think you need to practice some meditation. Meditate on, and I'm not talking about Eastern meditation per se. I'm just saying, like me, me I meditate. I meditate on the word of God. I meditate on on the things I'm grateful for. I will go out there and just look at things and thank God for my, for my kittens because they make me smile. They, they give me a good day every once in a while. So I'm happy for that. Uh, I, will, uh, I will be grateful for the trees. I, I live in a place that has got trees. I'm happy that there is shade. I've lived in a place where there are no trees. So I know how hot it can get in January. Now here, when it gets hot, I can hide under a tree. So I, I'm I meditate about things like those and I'm grateful. So that, that helps you, it keeps you calmer and you, you, you can get to deal with your situation when you are calm. When you're not calm, you will not deal with your situation. You will not realize how you're feeling. You will not realize. And I mean, your blessings help you realize your strengths because if you see how much you have, you realize that I have a lot. And it, it just begins helping you internalize that you are in a good place than you thought. You're in a much better place than you thought. You are more powerful than you had thought initially. Even if sometimes, sometimes things are going, are, are really, really difficult. In my gratitude course, uh, one of the things that uh, it teaches, it's a five day challenge actually, it's a five day course. The, the fifth day talks about uh, 
talks about a silver lining. So behind every dark cloud, there's a silver lining. Sometimes that silver lining is very difficult to see. But we need, if we, are, if we are diligent enough, and we don't have to look for it now, especially when we are grieving, but behind every dark cloud, there's a silver lining. Some of the best friendships are forged through grief. The people that are there for me during the time that I lost, the people that I loved, the ones who did it right, the ones who loved me despite my craziness, my anger, my sadness, my who love me unconditionally and were there for me they become friends for life and you can say it was the worst part of my life but in that worst part of my life i built the best friendship because behind every dark cloud there's a silver line and i was just curious you know from yes. the way you, you you are describing meditation it's sort of like similar with gratitude are they synonyms of each other or or so, how do you define meditation some people call it gratitude meditation. I, I, I differentiate because uh, meditation has got all these different connotations, but meditation is just deep thought. It's just deep thought. So if I think deeply about the things that I, if I start think deeply so that I can notice the things that I should be grateful for, it can pass for meditation because I give this example, Andrew, most of the households in this country have a clock in the somewhere. In fact, they have clocks but they no longer hear the clock, the, the minute hand as it moves. They no longer hear it. Not that it doesn't make a sound, but they normalize that. So they don't notice it until they are intentional or until the lights go off one day or rather no, one night and it's dark. And the only thing you can hear is a clock. Then you realize, Allah, that thing is that loud because once we normalize things, we don't notice them. And meditation now helps you to notice those things that you have been taking for granted. Some of the things that we take for granted are our family until we stop normalizing that. So it takes a bit, it can be called meditation, yes. But for me, I'm not talking about emptying my mind. I'm talking about filling it with deeper thought detailed thought so that I can notice what I have been missing. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. This, this, this conversation has been very awesome. And I just like to finish it off with, uh, who are three coaches that have influenced you, uh, in your path towards becoming the coach that you are and how did they influence you? When I saw you? that question, it was a bit difficult because there are coaches I admire, but I've not followed them a lot. Um, I like Tony Robbins. I've not followed him much. I like Marshall Gold, Goldsmith. I like, um, I'm forgetting his name, the, the gentleman who wrote about emotional intelligence. The, first, uh, the, the, the book that the big... Daniel Gold... Goldman. Da Goldman. Yes, Goldman. Daniel Gold I have not followed them enough. So I'm afraid that I cannot give a concrete answer on who my favorite coach is. But Daniel Goldman is way up there. I love his work. He's the one that I've interacted with. His work I've interacted with a bit more than most. And I love his content on emotional intelligence. And it's a big deal for me. Uh, hmm, How about locally? People that you've met? That's actually where hmm. I was looking. 
locally, I have met many coaches that we have worked with. There is, uh, I like Eileen. Eileen is, uh, Eileen is the, I, I think she still is the only master certified ICC coach in this, in this region. And I've had the pleasure and the privilege of working with her. And in one in, of, in, our, in our conversations, the first time that, uh, actually, I, apart from working with her, I've had the pleasure of listening to her and I was wowed by her depth in, uh, in coaching. And she was actually speaking to a delegation that I was part of. And it, I was just wowed by some of the questions that we were asking her from her vast experience, first from coaching and also now from her, she's, cause she's very learned. By the time you get to MCC, that's the highest rank you can get in, uh, in, in coaching in ICC. So she's one of the ones that I think is way up there. She sets the bar. Eileen is called Eileen Lasker. Then there is this gentleman. Um, why am I forgetting? He's Dr. Odur. He's the former CEO of KCB, the KCB group. Odur, I'm forgetting his English name. Now, Odur, you remember him? The one just before Oigara? No, I don't I remember don't forgetting him. His name. So this gentleman, he... He, the trajectory of his career is, is a dream. It, it looks like a, like a Western career. He, he was in government and he was fantastic. He went and took over KCB. And I think it is under his tenure that it became the group. Uh, I think when he took over, it was KCB Kenya. He made it into the group with tremendous success. So when he finished his work there, he opened his own leadership consultancy. It's called the Leadership the leadership group, is it? Leadership, something like that. Now, that man, he, he's, he's done great, great work when he was in corporate and now as a consultant, as a speaker, as a coach, and he's a certified coach. He's one of the ones that I look up to. Yes. So I think those three for me, those two local and Daniel Goldman would do the trick for me. Okay. Who are yes. three coaches you would love to collaborate with on a project or have a workshop or have a keynote speech with on a stage if time, death, and mm -hmm. money was not an issue? The three I've said would feature there. I, I can't believe I'm forgetting Odoro's other name. This is so sad because I really okay. look up to him. I like his content. And one of my friends actually works in that company. So I've even inquired if we could be able to work together. I've actually inquired. Yes, Mr. Duor, if you're <laughs> hearing this, don't accept it until he remembers your first name. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can't believe that I'm forgetting that because <laughs> he's, such a, he's such an amazing influencer for me. He, he's the one that I would go for first. He, he, would be, he would feature first in the people that I, I look, I would, I would like to share a stage with. Okay. Eileen also would, Eileen would also be up there, mm -hmm. especially because of the work that she has. She has achieved so much. Yes. And uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of uh, listening to her. Another, I'm not sure, I can't get a third, can I get a third local? It's, it's not a good day. <laughs> okay, it's okay. I, 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 I'll keep it those two. Martin yes. Odur. I've remembered Martin Odur. 
Martin Odwar. Yes. Leadership group. Martin Odwar, yes. Okay, Martin Odwar he's remembered your name. So now you can give him the uh, the possibility of an audience. <laughs> yes. Martin Odwar he's a star in my in, in my in my books. Martin Odwar mm. is a star. Wow. All right. Who are yes. three people who have influenced you on your coaching journey? Um, in my coaching journey is my coaches, the ones from whom I got my certification. Yes, please, please. One Feel free to name drop. Don't, don't, don't be scared. Yeah. And, how, and what do they unlock <laughs> for called, you? One is called uh, Paul, Paul Dabdub. He's an American. And uh, he introduced me to life coaching and uh, the beauty of using that as a tool to help people and uh, i just love i haven't caught up with him he has a monday call that i during this difficult season i kind of I, I, I was not online very much so i have not attended those monday calls but he helps us develop our business he helps us develop our craft up to, so you you graduate but you keep on learning from him so i love that about him i came across another one called sai blackburn Sai Blackburn is also American. I took a free course from Sai that changed how I view the business of coaching. So he has been uh, an amazing coach as well, who has influenced how I package my coaching, how I present it. And the third one, I took a course from uh, him. I forget his name, but his the company is the priority academy in the uk the priority academy so i took a couple of coaching courses from there and he's amazing i like his heart he is one of the things i like about him is his humility he's a humble person and he absolutely loves to help and he has he gives so much so much more value than you pay for i i love that and it just this, this, the combination of this, uh, because they are all very different in how they do their business, the combination influences how I do my work. Yes, the three of them, I would say, because I, I have not taken a coaching course locally, that my, all my coaching certifications are not local. So those influenced me on this journey more than, more than my local heroes. Wow, wow. Yes. All right, let's finish with three books. Three songs or artists and three movies. Okay. You, you, you already uh, mentioned David Goldman book already. So if you yes. wanted to include that yes. in your list, yes. that I, is. I want to include that. And uh, then there's another book that I read recently that I have come to love so much. It's called The Originals by Adam Grant. It's a fantastic book. Mm. I also love a book by my, this man is my friend. He's an author called Ed Brenegar. He wrote a book called Circle of Impact. I like it because it talks about, it looks at leadership in a new way. Uh, and it kind it agrees with me because uh, I don't believe in positional leadership and uh, he, he doesn't believe in positional leadership. He believes that leadership is people taking initiative to create impact that matters, any impact that matters. And I agree with that. So I love that very much. Of course, I like the Daniel Goldman book on emotional intelligence and an old, a little old book that uh, I'm trying to get my daughter to read called Think Big. I love that book. What's one takeaway from Think Big and from the originals? 
the originals, the originals, let me start to think big. Uh, the originals is like, uh, right now it's my current all time favorite right now. So I won't finish with that. Think big is, is about how you can be written off and how you can look insignificant just because you've not activated your superpowers because Ben Carson looked like a dumb kid until he found something that made him feel like he knew something. I can resonate with that quite a bit. And in my family, I have, I have a brother whose story is like a replica of, of John Carson. So, and uh, the, the, the transformation is amazing. And now we know him. A lot of people know him because of his success. They don't know the backstory. So I love Think Big because of that. The originals, I love that book because it talks about divergent thinking and how to bring your divergent thinking and, and, and cause it to be acceptable. Because I think I am a divergent thinker. I think I got into a bit of trouble in my corporate life because of divergent thinking. And what's divergent uh, thinking? I, just a brief definition. You know. Thinking differently, uh, challenging the status quo. If you think differently, you, you may, you, we won't like you very much. So I think I got into trouble because of challenging the status quo. I didn't know how to challenge the status quo. So the originals present methods that are proven that you could use to challenge the status quo and, and actually get them to see that your challenge is good. So I like it because it helps people like me to communicate what I'm feeling without rubbing them off too much. Wow. In as much as you, are, you want people to change. Yes. That's powerful. Yeah. Okay. Three artists yeah. or songs. So for artists, I'm not very loyal to. to it's okay. I, I like this gentleman from Nigeria called. Uh, <laughs> my goodness. Uh, and I had written, I'd even written down his name somewhere so that I can take a quick look, and I can't even find that. Um, you remember the name of the song? I. I I remember him, Nathaniel Bassi. So instead of giving songs, let me say, I like Nathaniel Bassi. He's Nigerian. I, I, I like G, Kanji Mbogwa, the Kenyan. And um, my favorite Kenyan musician is Eric Wainaina. And so you know, for the, and, and, for, and for the people who are hearing them for the first time, you know, that's why it's good to recommend a song to start with from each of uh, the artists that you're naming. So at least, uh, you know, we can start to experience them. <laughs> okay. All right, for Nathaniel, I like uh, Imela. Imela is the first one that I really liked from Nathaniel. I like many of his new songs. Some, I don't even know what they're called, but Imela is a good one to begin with. It, it just means thank you. Okay. For um, Kanji, Kanji has many, many songs. <laughs> one of my favorite ones is Akonami. Akonami, I have a Kanji CD, so... One of my favorite is Akonami. Eric Wainena happens to be my favorite. And this is because once when I was working at DHL, we had a, a singing competition and I won that singing competition. And I sang Eric Wainena's Kenya Daima. And uh, there was prize money to go with that too. And uh, much later I met Eric at the hub, Karen. And I told him, dude, I really love your song. And we were with my friend. In fact, my friend is one who said, hey, hi, Eric. This guy really likes your song. I said, yeah, actually, one time I had to sing it somewhere. I sang it somewhere and I won a prize. And he was very happy to hear that. <laughs> I won a prize. And 
he was very happy to hear that I want to praise singing his song. And uh, I, I like him. I like Eric very much. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. I'm sure even he's excited, you know, it, it's rare for artists to hear such stories. Yes. Yes. All right. Three movies or series? Wow. All right. My favorite movie of all time is Avengers Endgame. I, am a, I was a comic buff when I was little. Then those comics came to life in my lifetime. So I cannot believe it. For me, it's, I'm a, like a little child. I have caused people to watch the whole Marvel from Iron Man 1 to Avengers. I have caused families to do that. And because of the passion that I explained that I have used Avengers in my training scenarios, man, because I'm such, that's my favorite movie of all time. I've been unable to watch the others they have put out after that, especially the series. I've tried watching the movies after that and I have not liked them because I keep comparing them. So that's my of all time. I like the Mission Impossible. And I like that because of the creativity. I've seen the CGI that they use to bring them to life. For me, that is so awesome. I like Mission Impossible. For me, Mission Impossible, just it shows the kind of world we live in, the way we have well-planned. Our lives are well-planned. We are skilled and we think it's going to work. And then we are hit with curveballs. And Ethan Hunt just has this uncanny way of seeing around corners or creating, adapting. So last night I was watching Fallout and he was saying, I'm working on it. I just, I, that's crazy. I'm working on it. And it's a life and death situation. So I love the way <laughs> he adapts and the agility. You don't have time. The agility, you need to adapt now because if you don't, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very difficult. So I would go with, Mission Impossible, and I've watched all of them, and uh, I was actually going back through all of them again. I, I, I came back to fall. I can't wait for the new one, mm. and of course, Avengers Endgame. So those are my favorite. Wow! Wow! Thank you, and I think yes. uh, we it wouldn't be complete unless you'd finish it off with, if you had to leave today, yes. and you are to leave your wisdom of what you've experienced on Earth. What are three things that you yeah. leave behind so that those who hear your words would be able to walk their path and be able to handle whatever comes at them in life or to your 18-year-old self? Okay. Those three, I don't struggle very much uh, because I'm a Christian. Uh, I don't shove my... We are living in a time when we are told to, to, that we can't shove our faith in front of people. But I would tell them that you need to know your God. I, I, think, I, I think that there's a lot of evidence that there's a God. Uh, I think that I know that God. I would encourage people to seek to know the God, the creator, the one who made them, the one who put, what, who put them here on earth to do for a mission. So that, that would be number one. And I think if you find that, because I feel like I found what I was made to do. And I think that I found that I'm convinced that I found it through seeking God and seeking a path and my mission. So, and I'm happy doing, I am so fulfilled doing what I do. That's number one. Two, empathy. 
empathy, there's not enough empathy in this world. There's not enough empathy. And even in my story, I tell you the way I check into a place of work and this electrician just, he, he's not empathetic. I, I would just, if it was me, I would say, why today you didn't come prepared. So we, there are places that we can't go through because of what you're wearing, because your clothes will get dirty. We'll do that tomorrow. Empathy, just try to listen to another person's point of view. If, if you are looking for a simple definition of empathy, try to listen to their point of view, just that. Try to listen, try to understand why they feel the way they feel, to empathize. The last one, the third one is success does not come alone. Uh, sorry, you, you will never succeed on your own. There's no self-made person, no man is an island, it takes a village to bring up a child. So the simple word that I want to use is collaboration. We need to learn to work together. We need each other. So we need to learn how to work together. Three things, know your God, empathize and collaborate. Wow, thank you very much. Anthony P. Washira for that. That was such an awesome session. Yes. Uh, so many nuggets. I'm definitely going to be listening to this a whole bunch of times. Now, if people want to find out more about you and your work, you know, you spoke about your gratitude course and your find your passion course. Uh, where can they find uh, you online so that they can take these courses or even interact with you on uh, social media? Aha. Uh -huh. So my most active handle is LinkedIn. My LinkedIn is the most active. Anthony. P.W. Ashira, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook, pretty much the same names, but I'm not very active there. LinkedIn is where I'm most active. I have a website uh, I would invite you to visit. It's called The Influential, not The Influencer, <laughs> The Influential.co.ke, not .com, The Influential.co.ke. It talks about uh, my business, the influential, and how we can work together. There's some free resources, and there are some courses that you can take at your own pace. They are self-paced, so you can take them at your own pace without needing, without feeling rushed. They are good for individuals, and they are good for teams as well. Yeah. Thank you very much for that, Anthony. And uh, yeah, just in the same way, Anthony is on my podcast. Um, I reached out to him on LinkedIn and he responded. So at least I'm excited that you actually do respond to your LinkedIn. And uh, thank you. Yes. And thank you very much. So please, if there's anything you have heard that really um, has impacted your life or has just switched in you the way that you think about life, uh, yeah, please just do give a shout out to uh, Anthony P. W. Washira on LinkedIn or even uh, on any of my handles at uh, RevengeFGods on Instagram or even on, uh, on LinkedIn. We'd very much uh, appreciate uh, hearing back from you. And yes, until next time, where I go ahead and share with you the real secrets to success not taught to you by your parents, teachers, or society through subject matter experts, psychologists, and coaches like Anthony P. W. Washura. I hope I've been able to fulfill that today. And yes, do tune in uh, 
check out all my social handles, Revenge F Gods, for more episodes. And until next time, live life to the best of your ability. My name is Anthony P. W. Ashira, and you are listening to the Revenge of the Forsaken Gods podcast. Thanks for tuning in.